Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Open Observability Talks. I'm your host, Otan Horvitz, and here at Open Observability Talks, we talk about everything DevOps, observability, and open source. For those following uh, uh, the episodes, uh, you probably uh, know that uh, our sponsors are logs.io, uh, the cloud native observability platform that uh, brings your metrics, logs, and traces to one uh, SaaS platform, and it's based on open source. So uh, thank you very much, Logs.io, for uh, sponsoring this podcast. And for you joining the live stream on YouTube or Twitch, uh, feel free to share questions or comments on the chat. Uh, interesting things we'll try and incorporate in the uh, fireside chat. So uh, it makes much things much more interesting. So uh, do uh, go ahead and do that. And with that, let's move on to today's episode. And today we'll talk about uh, what it takes to build observability in web scale companies. And my guest is someone who has done just that at Twitter, Pinterest, and currently is a senior staff soft software engineer uh, and a tech lead for observability at Slack. Uh, and with that, I'd like to invite Suman Karumuri to join me. Hey, Suman, good morning. Hey, Dotan, how are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you for joining me from uh, the uh, Pacific Coast. How's it going yeah. there? It's good. Uh, nice day. Very warm. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. So, Swan, so I think one of the uh, fascinating things is that uh, you've done so much uh, in so many companies uh, around observability. So maybe you can share with us uh, a bit about, uh, about yourself and your background with observability. Sure. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Suman. I'm a, currently a senior staff engineer, senior staff software engineer at Slack. I currently lead the observability team and also the performance initiatives at Slack. Uh, so my journey here has been uh, quite a long one. Uh, currently, um, I'm at Slack, uh, and at Slack we built uh, a tracing system uh, from scratch, and uh, I also call Slack Trace, and I also worked on uh, uh, log search here. Uh, before uh, Slack, I was at Pinterest where we built a tracing system called Pintrace. And uh, before that, I was at uh, uh, before that I was at Twitter where I built a uh, I was a tech lead for Zipkin. We built an in-house log set system based on Loglens, and uh, uh, I was also played a little bit little part in uh, be authoring the open tracing spec. Uh, yeah, my passion is basically building these like large-scale observability systems, and uh, I build them more out of necessity than joy. But <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I think we'll talk more much about uh, the necessities or these gaps with existing solutions on this episode. I think you're bringing a very unique uh, uh, point of view about uh, at least for the for the web scale type of companies what the challenges are with existing solutions. But before we uh, go into the technical solutions, I'd like to uh, uh, talk about the organizational aspects because talking about companies such as uh, Slack and Twitter and uh, uh, Pinterest, these are web scale companies, not just in the volume of, of uh, traffic and, and users, but also in the size of the organizations. And I'm curious in such large organizations, how uh, who owns observability and how is that constructed within the organization? Uh, because I've been hearing we, you know, I've been working with small and medium organizations, also with enterprises, but then you hear the challenges in the large organizations, the discussions about 
shared services consolidation versus distribution. So I'm wondering how you uh, view the uh, large scale type of uh, observability organization. Yeah, uh, at our scale, I think there is uh, always has been an observability team. Uh, and uh, at uh, even larger scales, there is within the observability team, there is a log search team, there is a metrics team, and there is a tracing team. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think most of the models, uh, to borrow your phrasing, are centralized. And the reason they are centralized is uh, at, at uh, web scale or even at a reasonable scale, most observability systems are like uh, running specialized databases. And uh, to run these specialized databases, you need to know uh, some things about the data model, some things about the query model, and uh, some things about how people are accessing the system, a few things about where the weak, weak spots of these systems are. And also, observability has grown so big now that uh, a single general engineer cannot just keep all the things <laughs> in, a sing in their head and like deal with it, right? So. Uh, observability is a specialization, and I think um, increasingly, uh, just like you have database admins uh, or a database team, uh, I think observability is like that for the modern times. A centralized team that specializes in observability that uh, has two things, in maintain the infrastructure and also help your engineers, uh, teach your engineers how to use observability and make sure they're following the best practices and also deliver business value at the same time so you say both in terms of choosing i guess the uh, the technical stack or developing it in-house in case that uh, no uh, off-the-shelf solution is there but also you say about maintaining it and also uh, being the center of knowledge uh, to to uh, disseminate it across the engineering organization is that correct yes exactly and there's another aspect that's uh, very interesting uh, about these, again, in, in large organizations is about standardizing uh, the formats. Because, you know, mm -hmm. if each team will decide on its own uh, logging format or, or labeling for metrics or something like that, then, yeah. you know, cross-referencing uh, events across teams, across microservices, across uh, boundaries will become much more challenging. So uh, do, do you see that also on your end on the uh, standardization? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Like... Uh, I think one of the key parts an observability team plays is actually helping all the teams standardize. So in middle of an incident, uh, uh, we are not asking where are logs for this team versus why are logs for this team in a different system versus... Uh, so uh, the, like if you don't standardize, right? One team will do what's best for that team, but they're not thinking what's best for uh, the company or what's the best solution during an incident, right? And uh, also, uh, they're also not thinking, hey, what's the best, most cost-effective solution for Slack, right? Yeah. Or your company. So I think uh, this is like a standardized, like a lot of things get bundled under standardization, but I think, uh, uh, yeah, you can say that the, the observability team is guiding engineers towards standardization so they can uh, reduce the MTTR during an incident while managing the costs. And that that's ultimately the bottom line because when mm -hmm. you when you don't uh, create silos where each one has its own standard or its own uh, conventions for labeling and for metadata and things like that, exactly then the, the the cross again cross organizational type of uh, incident investigation becomes uh, a nightmare because you need to understand that uh, service underscore ID here maps to service. <laughs> 
ID with a capital I or whatever. It's yeah, not exactly. all sorts of weird uh, conventions and things like that. Yeah, you actually get something a little bit worse, which is uh, people don't realize how complex these monitoring stacks are too. So you'll have multiple monitoring stacks in the company too. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and I guess there's another uh, dimension that's interesting, which is the uh, compliance side of things like uh, GDPR mm -hmm. compliance and things like that. That, First of all, larger organizations are much more exposed and sensitive to these things. And on the other end, these are cross-cutting concerns that need to apply equally across the organization, irrespective of the types of uh, data storage or, or, uh, or usage, because this is a compliance issue. So I guess this is also mm -hmm. a way to enforce that across the organization, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think one of the larger transitions, uh, I think uh, increasingly the databases are becoming a little bit more commoditized in the observability space. Previously, they needed more love and care. Uh, these days, not so much. Uh, but uh, the scale is also increasing. And with the scale, uh, what people are doing is no, there is no one size fits all database for all observability use cases. So some for some logs, they're just for archival reasons. You just like shout them to S3. Some logs, you want to search them in real time. And then you want to ensure that specific fields exist. So you have get them during an incident. And for some logs, you want to do uh, some complex analytics. So you want to send them to the data warehouse. And increasingly, the observability teams are actually becoming more and more uh, a pipeline management team as well. They, they have to manage like these telemetry pipelines. And these telemetry pipelines uh, also have to enforce things like GDPR compliance, make sure people are not logging like security tokens in the logs, uh, filtering out PII, make sure that the data is sent. Uh, like, let's say you can put it on S3, you know, but maybe legal is not happy about you sending logs out of your data center, you know, like there are places where that's not the case. So uh, yeah, like uh, telemetry pipeline management is also a big part of what observability team does in addition to enforcing standards. And also we are uh, uh, contributing a book, a chapter on telemetry pipeline management to the upcoming book on observability engineering by Charity Majors and Liz Fong Jones. Please check it out uh, when it comes out. Yeah, it's actually a very nice, uh, nice uh, resource that uh, all of the community will probably uh... Uh, cherish a book dedicated to observability. Finally, it's, uh, it makes the yeah. front page and, and uh, getting people such as yourself, experts, uh, contributing chapters beyond obviously charity uh, majors and, and Liz, which are, who are uh, experts from Honeycomb. Uh, that, that makes it uh, very interesting. So it's not out yet, uh, but uh, the preview I think is there and, and I'll share the link uh, with the audience. So uh, definitely check it out. And thanks for contributing uh, the uh, chapter for the, for the community. Thank you. Um, so what I'd like to uh, discuss maybe is um, uh, the, the, the gaps, because you talked about the need that you found in actually developing in-house uh, uh, logging system at Twitter and then a tracing system and Pinterest and now in Slack and so on. It's not because you don't know what's out there. Who, who, I, I know and I can testify that you know better than many of us uh, the, the things that are out there and still you found them uh, not suitable enough for the needs and the scale that you needed. So I'd like to go over that, but let's let's do that according to the to the maybe to the pillars and start with uh, with the with the logs. So uh, you know, logging metrics and traces that are the common uh, pillars. We can challenge that as well. You and I <laughs> talked about maybe logs and traces should be one, and maybe additional pillar with the continuous profiling. But yeah, it's a whole separate discussion. But if, if we stick <laughs> to the traditional uh, conceptual model of logs, metrics, and traces. 
then uh, let, let's talk a bit maybe about uh, uh, about metrics first uh, and and maybe what, what what did you what gaps did you find in the current way that we handle metrics yeah I mean great questions so uh, like I mean the standard for metrics is Prometheus but actually if you think about it metrics is the most fragmented uh, Uh, system of all the places for example I worked at Amazon Amazon that has their own metric system I worked at Facebook Facebook has their own uh, I worked at Twitter Twitter has their own uh, and uh, I worked at uh, Pinterest which used open TSDB and then it didn't scale so uh, I rewrote the metric system at Pinterest as well uh, and then uh, at slack we use Prometheus and then uh, even like within Prometheus like everyone use it like a lot of People at scale who use Prometheus actually fought Prometheus because it has a lot of features that we don't need you know so the thing is metrics is very fragmented and the reason the systems are fragmented is for a long time the model of metrics has not been standardized but with Prometheus uh, and Google's muscle behind it uh, Prometheus is kind of standardized the data formats and the query formats for metrics and with this standardization came a bunch of good things which is like Um, we have built like several metric systems like cortex or Victoria metrics or Thanos or uh, all of those things right uh, and uh, but the still one thing that's still lacking in the metric space is there is no single solution that actually works uh, uh, that's a good distributed database in metrics uh, the best one we have right now in some sense is Prometheus uh, because you If it doesn't scale you just launch more nodes and it kind of just like basically uh, thanks to God and more right uh, with Moola we can actually scale vertically and also horizontally very easily uh, which creates a lot of problems at scale uh, with these metric systems also because the sacrifice consistency you cannot add any automation in front of it for example when I was working at Twitter or Facebook or Google there is an automated system that used to automatically look at metrics and like kill instances and things like that. I can't take anything in open source today put automation in front of it and expect it to work well you know like uh, because the data consistency guarantees are not there if you put automation in front of those systems because automation systems are not very smart they end up doing the wrong things you know uh, yeah and also they don't scale very well like how many metrics they ingest how many timestamps they ingest that's one of the reasons I think there's a lot of room for improvement there. We wrote one we wrote a paper called Mac which builds a new metric storage engine for example uh, that's better than Prometheus so I think there's a lot of room for improvement in metrics space so I think that the paper is very uh, very interesting you just released that I think uh, a week or so ago it's really very fresh and uh, yeah very exciting you're going to uh, you, you uh, introduced it in, in Mac and uh, it's called a pluggable metric storage engine for the age of observability. Uh, it was accepted by the CIDR now um, and I, I saw that and I was uh, pretty pretty impressed without understanding all the details definitely just seeing the the end results talking about a 10x uh, more write throughput and three times uh, read throughput than Prometheus was for me it was very exciting and, and uh, willing to, to see so it's just a research paper right but uh, yeah uh, having a, a POC later down the road but what what is the the The, the main takeaways from from that uh, for us uh, that are not so uh, so into the details of the database sure. uh, implementation 
Yeah, uh, okay, I'll give you a high level summary, but uh, you should refer to the paper uh, for like the nitty gritty details and the limitations and all of that, because it's a podcast, I don't want to get into too many details. So for um, the first thing with uh, any metrics storage engine, right? Prometheus, it takes the metrics you give it, just writes it to the storage engine directly. One of the things we actually do is we do tired storage. Uh, so we have a staged ingestion pipeline. So what happens is you take the metrics, write them to disk, uh, uncompressed, and then compress them uh, after you reach like a few data points and things like that. Uh, because of this like staged execution, one of the advantages we get is Prometheus actually has a fixed compression mechanism. You can change the compression mechanism after, you have to pick it first. But uh, because we have this staged ingestion mechanism, you can pick a compression mechanism that is more suitable to the data, you know? Uh, so, uh, so that's one reason why uh, this system is a little bit better because sometimes uh, Prometheus actually explodes uh, when you have when you give it the wrong type of data, right? High cardinality data, for example. Yeah. Uh, the other reason uh, this system is actually better is uh, there's a lot of duplication of labels and things like that in Prometheus when you are ingesting the data. We actually ingest the data in a multi uh, as a multi values. So if you have common labels, we can ingest multi values in parallel. That actually improves our like read uh, write throughput quite a bit. And also the third advantage compared to Prometheus is if we write the data directly to disk because of that staged uh, compression. So you can actually ingest the data at the disk uh, at as fast as disk can read it. That's one advantage. The second advantage you have is Prometheus has one of these big problems where uh, let's say Prometheus nodes restarts, it has to reprocess the wall, uh, the write ahead log and to rebuild the data. And that takes like, for us, it takes like minute, tens of minutes. And uh, that kind of like kills any P99 metric you want to have. Uh, so, uh, but because we write directly to disk, our recoveries are much faster. So at least in these three high-level things, uh, this engine is better, uh, both from an operational perspective and a performance perspective compared to like uh, existing engines. Nice. So you get the improvement uh, both on the write when you do the parallel writing with the optimization. You get the read obviously from the uh, from the uh, also the size with the compression uh, mm -hmm. more suitable based on the data and. Uh, the, the recovery times are, are faster so i think it's uh, yeah. it's really exciting and i posted on the for the ones on the on the live stream uh, just now i posted the links and uh, i will also post them for the podcast listeners on the uh, 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 on the episode notes so very very fascinating research paper and you said that you uh, may release some sort of an open source uh, proof of concept yeah. of that uh, research paper right yeah, yeah, we we have an open source uh, thing in the works, so we'll uh, probably release a fork at some point. Yeah. So uh, let me know, and we'll share that with the community as soon as it's there with the open observability community. That'd be a, a great uh, follow up to this sure. episode, but uh, really fascinating. So I, I think you touched upon several uh, limitations, both on the general approach of metrics and also on the uh, uh, common uh, patterns introduced by uh, by Prometheus itself, which is really a, a de facto standard. So. Uh, which led you to develop the in-house solution. Um, and maybe we can touch about uh, uh, logs now. We'll go back to metrics uh, later, but uh, just to cover the ground with the, with the gaps uh, analysis that we're making. So mm -hmm. uh, logging also has its share of limitations with all due respect, although it's been around for so long, uh, 
uh, we still have quite a bit of challenge. And I know that you've done, uh, as you said, you rewrote or, or wrote from scratch the log analytics in at uh, Twitter, and then you found yourself uh, doing it a few other times. So let's talk about uh, log analytics pipelines. Uh, what what led you? I think you started from the Elk stack back then, right? So what yeah. maybe gaps you found in Elk stack, and what drove you to uh, do the in-house implementation? Yeah, so uh, so my first introduction to log search actually started at Twitter when I was at Twitter, and we used to use Elasticsearch back then. Uh, back then, the story was uh, there was like a hack week, and somebody just like installed Elasticsearch and then uh, said, "Hey, use it." And then in two months, we were sending so many logs to it that we had we needed a team to own it, and then. Uh, for good or bad, my team ended up being the team uh, that owned log search. And uh, back then, uh, one of the problems with Elasticsearch, this was like uh, way back in the day, and then Elasticsearch was not as solid as it used to be now. And it used to just go down for days uh, sometimes. Like we used to manage about like, uh, I mean, these days these numbers are not that big, but back then we used to manage about 50 to 100 terabytes of data on Elasticsearch and then uh, it used to, uh, there were incidents where Elasticsearch would go down almost every two or three days, or uh, sometimes when it goes down, it would corrupt the entire data set and things like that. So, I mean, we did this for six months and at some point we decided, hey, like this is just too much work. It's actually easier to rewrite Elasticsearch. And then that's exactly what we did. There was a, we built a system called Loglins and then we rewrote Elasticsearch. And uh, by the time I left, Loglins was managing about two petabytes of data. Uh, log data in the system. And uh, it was uh, a very cost-effective system. Like also the cost uh, with log search, the cost is also very high. So this was back in the day when like uh, tired storage was not as popular. And then we implemented tired storage in log search, right? Uh, so uh, going forward, I did some ES stuff at uh, Twit uh, Pinterest afterwards. I did some, I managed ES at uh, Slack and we run uh, Elasticsearch at uh, at a decent scale at Slack. We manage about a petabyte of data, uh, and uh, what we actually found is um, for a week of data, even at that scale, Elasticsearch is actually not reliable because we find like a lot of issues. Uh, we find issues like uh, a single Elasticsearch node node goes down and the ingestion stops. You know, the entire ingestion stops. Uh, or um, field conflicts are a major issue for us. Uh, for example, like uh, because of field conflicts, uh, because of uh, because the types, have, like the field typing. Yeah, field typing. For example, if one user has an account ID as a string and another user has an account ID as an int, only one user logs makes through. And uh, because of index rotation and things like that, whose logs make through changes based on every twenty minutes or thirty minutes or like whatever that time is. And uh, this actually creates like a lot of usability issues for us. Uh, also, uh, it's kind of surprising that you can say that, hey, like at, for small scales, Elasticsearch works, right? But the, it actually introduces a different problem. Like uh, when you actually have one Elasticsearch cluster for a microservice or some set of services, right? At our scale, you end up managing like 60 to 70 Elasticsearch clusters and we, my Slack is not even microservice heavy, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so now you need to write software to manage Elasticsearch automation. So uh, like, so the multi-tenancy and isolation uh, is just too much work for us. Uh, and it's like not like valuable work. 
And also, uh, Elasticsearch just started doing tired storage, and it's not that great yet. I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, you wait a year, it'll be it'll be much better. But uh, so they don't have elastic. Like, it costs too much. Uh, we recently uh, disabled full text search in our cluster in some of our clusters because of cost. But people actually need it. Like, uh, most people think that they don't need it, but uh, but if you once you remove it, you'll know how often you needed it, you know, yeah. because there is no replacement for, as you said, right? One person puts a service ID in the service ID field for another person. It's just an ID field, right? And then how do you search those logs? Like you just have the service ID and you have to search, like link these things across systems in an incident or like to do some analysis and uh, you can't go back and fix that, you know? Yeah, the the hell of unstructuring is is the the worst in logging. I think that's the the place where it, it uh, yeah the mess yeah, is and that's why the free the full text search is uh, so uh, needed there. Uh, yeah, it's very very hard to enforce a structure uh, mm -hmm. for the logging that, uh, that that makes it. And you gave a good point there with the with the log storms also the with, yeah. with, with, with the log, yeah, logging yeah that's a big one. when you you know when when something crashes then suddenly you get logging all yeah. over the place because everything crashes and you get from the database and from the networking and from the uh, exactly. and from everything and then the question is yeah. how the system manage that what, what did you find with Elasticsearch in your case so uh yeah that's the other big problem for us like uh, log storms are a big problem so the only way to fix the log storms today is you scale up the cluster to some amount that you can actually afford <laughs> generally our log storms are bigger than that uh so and then you fall behind right and yeah. Uh, you just accept that cost and uh, people don't like that. Like people don't like when, like, it's like driving a car on the highway, but the speed you're seeing is like from 10 minutes ago, you know, <laughs> that's not helpful. Uh, if you want to do some, like, if you want to see if you're over the speed limit or not, uh, and it costs a lot. So this is like, uh, one of the reasons we are actually replacing, trying to replace at least Elasticsearch with an in-house solution based on Lucene. Uh, because what we found is like there are a lot of log search solutions out there. Uh, we are calling our solution CalDB. Uh, there are a lot There's of solution in, in Slack, right? Let's just, not to confuse the audience. You built a logging system back at Twitter, but now you're fast forwarding to today. Actually, that you, yeah. I think you even even haven't uh, published it uh, publicly. Maybe this is the first time for the audience to actually hear about uh, CalDB. You're going to publish something uh, public about the the new system, yes. right? Yes, it's still under development right now. Uh, we are very close to uh, putting it in production. So uh, this is the first time. I mean, like I'm talking about CalDB publicly. Uh, so yeah, there are a lot of systems out there, but most of the systems assume that Elasticsearch is expensive because Lucene is expensive. That's actually not quite true. Uh, Lucene actually is a very good storage engine. Uh, and uh, the architecture we had for Loglins works really well, even today. Uh, actually, it works well much uh, better now than it was before. So CalDB is pretty much like a sim system very similar to Loglens. We're taking the lessons from Loglens, we're taking the lessons from Elasticsearch and then uh, building CalDB. And in this, uh, it's cloud native uh, logs. It's a cloud native Lucene based indexing system. And then uh, we actually want to handle log storms better. For example, if you are getting like 10x the amount of logs than your baseline, because uh, it's January 1st and everybody just decided to log in, you know? Uh, sorry, January, like the first day of the year. Yeah. Uh, or, Word, yeah. yeah, or some big customer decides to run like a background job to migrate their, their 
log because there is a merger and they migrate their log messages from one system to another not like a ton of log messages that you have no control over when those things happen you know so yeah. what we actually do is we built the system that automatically scales by the logging volume hmm. uh, elastically as opposed to you having to pre-provision the system and also uh, managing Elasticsearch is very painful uh, because it doesn't run on Kubernetes or anything like that. So we run on Kubernetes to make operations easier. Uh, we also try to handle field conflicts automatically. So we ingest the data with field conflicts and then we help, uh, we try to resolve them on read uh, yes. as opposed to on write because uh, it's easier to change your query to read the logs than it is to get the drop data, right? Uh, so that's the other thing. And uh, we also have uh, interesting solutions for multi-tenancy instead of running 100 clusters. So one of the biggest reasons for multi-tenancy is you want to isolate the workloads, right? You want to say, this set of machines are not affected by the query from this other uh, user is running. And Elasticsearch today, you can host multiple indexes on the same node, but there is no isolation. What uh, CalDB does, it provides you multi-tenancy plus isolation. So uh, that's one of the features in CalDB uh, that reduces our operational overhead for the logs. And uh, we also do not have single points of failure. At least the system is designed so that if one node goes down, only the data for that node is delayed. Not like if you have N nodes and if one node goes down, only one nth of the data is uh, delayed as opposed to all your data is delayed, yeah. you know? Um, uh, and also when the data is delayed, it actually makes the problem worse because uh, you have a log storm, you're behind, and then the system is under pressure, it fails. Now you're further behind. <laughs> so uh, that's one of the reasons why we had to redesign these systems and not like, we just couldn't take existing systems because they were not designed with these failure cases in mind. That's interesting, actually. And, and the, on the other end, it's very uh, interesting to hear that you still find the basic Lucene library. By the way, for, for the audience who doesn't know, this is the Java library that's uh, Apache, Apache Lucene under the Apache Foundation uh, on which uh, Elasticsearch is based. So you still see that the foundations of Lucene are very valid and actually are uh, in many ways enabled much more than what Elasticsearch has made out of it. So it's, it's important to distinguish between the baseline Lucene and the a wrapper that or the implementation that Elasticsearch offers. And I, by the way, there was a very interesting article that I read uh, a few months ago by a company that used it for, for search purposes, enterprise search, not mm -hmm. logging, but still they found the same, the same solution. They actually uh, found that implementing their own, uh, it's company called Yelp, and yeah. they, instead of implementing, uh, going with Elasticsearch, they start decide to implement on top of Lucene and uh, uh, very interesting. We also have a comment here from the audience saying that uh, regarding your point on, on the automation and operation, that uh, this is something that has been uh, in, in extensive work at OpenSearch. OpenSearch, for those who don't know, is uh, uh, started as a fork of Elasticsearch and uh, Kibana before their relicensing uh, to a non-open source license. And... Uh, and now it's an independent uh, project and uh, lots of activity there. And part of that is on the operational side, things that were not available on Elasticsearch and now uh, they can implement an open search. Uh, one of them is operator. We mentioned the uh, Kubernetes. So, uh, but uh, admittedly, even there, lots of uh, work is needed to, uh, to run it at scale. So uh, thanks for the comment there. Uh, and and uh, uh, sounds like your uh, CalDB is going to be a fascinating, pro another fascinating project. 
Are you uh, considering uh, sharing that as a uh, form of open source or some sort? Yeah, it'll definitely be open source. Yeah, because uh, one of the things I have, I, I, I don't think uh, we have open sourced the Loglet system. And I think back then I thought it was such an obvious idea that nobody would like somebody would just build it better than I would, but it's been like seven years and nobody did. So at least this time I want to open source CarlDB. Nice, nice. For sure. Um, so uh, we touched upon uh, the gaps in the logging systems and the, specifically with Elasticsearch was the, the leading uh, open source there in the industry. And let's the, the third pillar tracing system, the youngest, but still with, uh, with uh, quite some gaps. And you've been uh, with a lot of experience there, even from your Twitter days, you've been playing around with uh, Zipkin, you've been contributing to open tracing, uh, just to name a few, and you've built uh, in, at Pinterest the Pintrace homegrown solution, and now at, at uh, Slack with Slack Trace. So uh, I won't bother you with all the background there, but maybe if you can summarize all your uh, years of experience, both on the open source available solutions, products, APM, yeah. whatever you've touched, and uh, maybe... If you what are your learnings and limitations, probably the ones that led you to uh, develop Slack Trace. Sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, as you said, right? I was the tech lead for Zipkin back then. There was nothing like Zipkin. So Zipkin is the like Zipkin is the only tracing solution back then. Uh, and then uh, uh, we I worked on Zipkin, and then the next thing that came up was. Uh, uh, I went to when I went to Pinterest. We wanted to build a distributed tracing system there, uh, so I started Pinterest. Uh, when we started Pinterest, there was no open tracing uh, as a thing did not exist. So I was working with Ben and all these people, and then we decided. They, ben suggested uh, Ben Bigelman, whoever though, yeah. doesn't know the the leaders yeah. in uh, in uh, Lightstep, uh, open tracing, Lightstep, and obviously in, the, in open tracing. And maybe a word for the audience who doesn't know open tracing. Do you want to say a quick word uh, just for the context? Yeah, open tracing is basically uh, rebranded open telemetry uh, or <laughs> the first version of uh, open telemetry. So open tracing and census, uh, Google census merged to become uh, open telemetry. So, uh, But open uh, tracing essentially was a, a, an attempt to standardize the API side. It's not yes, implemented, open, but the API side of how uh, to, in your code, to write mm -hmm. it in a vendor agnostic way to... Yeah. Expose spans and and, Expose and, spans that, and that from the from the application code into some sort of a backend in a neutral way. Just to very yes, briefly, that's, that's exactly that's exactly. Now, it's merged into Open Telemetry together with Open Census. So just for the context of the of the audience. So back then, Open Tracing wasn't in existence, and you needed to develop uh, yeah. Pinterest. Pinterest, and then uh, so the uh, I wrote the first Open Tracing library at Pinterest. That basically we took the feedback from that, put it in the spec to improve upon the API. And uh, I had experience doing uh, the Java API at Twitter and the Scala API, and then the Python API at Pinterest. So that's, uh, I was able to like add my two cents, so to speak, to the doc nice. Uh, nice. from that experience. And uh, yeah, once we came to Slack, um, we wanted to do tracing here, but one of the things I've seen with the tracing systems in the past is, the ROI of tracing, like it was too much work to add tracing and to end tracing everywhere. And, uh, but the return on investment was not there because uh, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work to keep up uh, the system and then trace the system. When it worked, it worked really well, right? For the problems of like understanding what's going on. And like, if you have latencies, uh, where the latencies are, it worked really well. But the thing with the tracing systems is you deploy a tracing system, you'll find like these five things that added a lot of value that you couldn't have found otherwise. You'll get those, 
And then after that, it's like the next year you'll find five more, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so the first month is like really good. And then the next year it's like five more. And it kind of like is a depreciating uh, return on investment. And But you, you have to do more and more work as more systems come to keep that uh, tracing graph complete and all of that. Uh, so uh, the ROI is low. And the other problem with tracing is today tracing ties you to the request response path more or less. So tracing works really well in the backend systems, but it doesn't really work well on the clients or other places that you can use. And the third thing we saw was uh, it's more valuable if you have more microservices thing, like at least the existing tracing systems, but uh, not so much if you have a little bit more monolith. Uh, the, the more important part is I, after using these traces, I found there are a lot more use cases for tracing, uh, that are not covered by the existing tracing systems or like the vendors. And that's why we actually build Slack trace. Interesting. So, uh, I think by the way, your point about the low ROI, surprisingly enough, is still there in a way I can see that, yeah. that many people, although we, there's been a lot of activity to do auto instrumentation libraries and agents and things like that. You still see that the effort, the barrier to entry, the instrumentation is, is painful. It's the, it's not frictionless by any means. Yeah. And because tracing, unlike logs, is not something that any other developer uses, then people start asking, is that investment worth the while, the maintenance? Yeah. Because you said new microservices, new systems, each one, you need to make sure that it's there. Otherwise, it breaks the... You know, tracing yeah. is all built on, on the context propagation. You yeah. put in one system and that one system hasn't propagated the HTTP headers, headers. E3 headers. format, whatever, W3C, then you, you got broken uh, trace and, and all your previous work is also worthless. So yeah, um, exactly. I, I think, and the question keeps on rising. So uh, is the investment worth your while? And it's been, I've been in these discussions yeah. over and over and I've been trying to preach obviously the, the values, but yeah, it's a valid point. And, very interesting to see how you at Slack address that because I know that your part of your tracing 2.0 is actually an attempt yeah. to get it much more uh, easygoing and seamless. Yeah, so at Slack, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, we are calling it tracing 2.0, which is like a better uh, uh, tracing system. And what we actually did was we actually broke down tracing into two parts. Uh, the first part is the general idea of producing a trace and querying it is actually good, but the current tools don't let you query the exact trace data in its raw form. You actually just have a UI and then you can only do a limited set of queries, right? But what we wanted to do was open up that uh, format so you can actually query traces like raw data like you would do with logs. And to do that, uh, what we actually do is uh, we wanted to make traces easy to consume, right? And to make traces easy to consume, uh, this, so this is how we increase the value out of traces. Uh, to make traces easy to consume, we put them in Elasticsearch so you can do like analytics and Elasticsearch queries on them. And we also put them in the data warehouse where you can actually run SQL queries on those things, ah, get additional insights. So you can actually say, hey, is uh, you can actually construct a query like uh, what percentage of the time is spent in my SQL queries uh, or rather, let me put it this way, is my overall endpoint slower now because of MySQL, because of my database? You can ask interesting queries like that. Like in the existing tracing systems, that data exists, but you can't formulate a query because the data format that they have is very complex, the open telemetry format. 
So yeah. we take those spans and convert them to a simpler span event format. And we ingest those span event format in the data warehouse, which are easier to consume and process. That's so, interesting because it's a pattern that you, you ingest, you ingest the same data, but then you store it in different ways to enable different types of queries. I think this is something exactly. that is very interesting, even beyond just traces. If you, if you look at other types of telemetry, a way to, to merge the different mm -hmm. uh, the different uh, telemetry uh, together to query yeah, that, that's very exactly yeah and the side effect of this is these traces are also easier to produce because the span event format is easier to produce uh, we have libraries now which directly produce these span events without tracing and what has this enabled us this helped us uh, take the tracing and put it in our clients like for example if you use a slack client today uh, you can actually, there are like multiple traces running in the Slack client, uh, in all our Slack clients, and we have end-to-end -end tracing. And uh, the, the mobile frameworks or like JavaScript frameworks are not very amenable to tracing. So our system is actually better than the existing ways to trace those systems. And further, uh, we also separated this notion of a trace as one request, one response. Uh, this actually complicates the production of traces. So we actually have custom tracers where you can have multiple tracers active in the same request at the same time. Uh, you can read more about it in our blog post. I, I don't think I have enough time to go <laughs> into all of those nitty gritty, but the advantage of these things overall is we actually apply tracing to our CI CD pipeline. There is a blog post on the Slack engineering blog where you can see how tracing is used to optimize our CI-CD pipelines, our build pipelines. And uh, we even now use tracing for modeling business funnels. Like wow. uh, if you have a user journey and uh, when people are moving through those funnels, right, we actually use traces to model them now. Uh, That's fascinating. I actually uh, hosted uh, here in the, uh, on the podcast and Open Observability Talks, uh, Yuri Shkuro, who is the uh, mm -hmm. founder and the man behind, the person behind the, Jaeger mm -hmm. and behind also open tracing you mentioned and yeah. open telemetry is involved and, and many other activities is currently at Facebook um, and uh, one of the things that we've discussed is actually that tracing as, a, as an underlying mechanism as the plumbing irrespective of, of well, the IT observability is actually once you have uh, the yeah. plumbing in place and you can propagate context you can then do whichever payload you want and the payload can exactly. actually be one that can serve a FinOps use cases or BizOps mm -hmm. use cases exactly. or, or compliance use cases or, or many exactly. other things sort of because you just propagate the tenant mm -hmm. ID, the account ID, the, uh, I don't know, other, other types down to the back end yeah. where you can actually apply all sorts of mm -hmm. uh, logic and queries that map back end processes back to, let's call it business entities or legal entities or, or, uh, yeah. or, uh, map it to business units or, or to uh, tenants. And it's, re it's really amazing. So uh, it's something that yeah. they did back in Uber. He used to be at Uber when they built, uh, back when they built Jaeger and it's, uh, it's a recurrent pattern. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tracing is uh, currently like very, I would say it's like, it's an underdog, I would say of all the observability things, but I think it has a lot of potential. Like, I mean, I, I think tracing would replace like logs, like, from our use cases, we see that we think we can unify logs and traces under the same system.
That's that's actually a, a fascinating observation. I had a similar discussion several times in the past. Some people even asked me because I, I had a tweet about it in Twitter, and people asked, "How can it be that you can uh, you can uh, state something yeah. like replacing tra- logs with traces?" Uh, but that I was actually part of a, a discussion that I had with uh, with an interesting startup. So uh, for for Slack, you actually switched over from logs to to span data to lo- to traces right so yeah we write us uh, it is not all of our log data but uh, we write uh, some of our log uh, like for example our own mobile logs are actually emitted as spans mm-hmm. and all our traces are also emitted as spans so we use the same ingestion pipeline same analysis pipeline to process this data and uh, this actually simplified a lot of things in terms of like debugging how we use the data the data quality of logging has actually improved because the same logs are used for multiple use cases people are a little bit more about, structured so it, yeah, they can logs get are more structured <laughs> yeah 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 logs are more structured i would say they are more semi structured than structured because at the end of the day you'll get semi structured logs no matter what yeah. uh, because there is always like logged out in message or something that yeah, is yeah exactly uh, yeah. exactly yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and, and another thing that uh, I think was interesting for me, because everyone is thinking, you mentioned that briefly before, that traces are in the context of a request or request response flow. But uh, you also apply that for processes that are, uh, I don't know, uh, off, off stream, that are not requests, that are driven by an event, like, I don't know, a reboot of, of uh, the operating system, things that exactly are yeah. next to request, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually apply tracing to our chef uh, engine, because so the biggest thing where traces are applicable uh, that there is no good analog for elsewhere is uh, causality. So what traces give you is let's say you have a set of events, right? Uh, you don't know what event happened after what event today, right? Yeah, you can sort by timestamp, but if you have multiple threads doing things in parallel, that's not good. So what you do today is you take all these things, stick them in a, a storage like Elasticsearch or Splunk, and then manually reconstruct the order of events right by uh, in your head uh, but with tracing all of that is done for you for free and uh, i think that's where a lot of value of tracing comes from and uh, that what our span event ad provides is provide causality between events which actually helps you understand your systems better and apply it to model more higher level concepts like a business process flow or like a chef flow or things like that. Yeah. So I think one of the things that uh, that uh, really uh, resonated with me, something that I've been saying for quite some time also here on the podcast in many other stages is that for me, observability is essentially data analytics problem. It's oh, getting, yeah. the, getting data from many uh, types, uh, let's say signals, many mm-hmm. sources. It could be my front-end app, my back-end app. It could be my Kafka and my Redis and my uh, MySQL and uh, my AWS uh, services and th- things like that. And meshing it all together, creating a, a, a conceptual data warehouse and then being able to ask and answer whichever question I want to understand my system. That's mm-hmm. the, 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 the mental model that I adopt and I'm trying to get people away from the discussion on traces this and logs this and stuff like that. And I know that you've been uh, preaching that from your end as well, and you've been analyzing that. So maybe can, you can share with us your mental model for uh, observability. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think observability is a data problem. And today, only like backend engineers use it. 
uh, let's just face it. Uh, but I think even front-end engineers don't use it, right? Uh, so I think observability actually is a way to understand what's happening in your system, and it provides tools. You, the tools it provides are, hey, you can gather raw data, or you can gather pre-aggregated data, right? Yeah. And the raw data you gather would be logs, metrics, or traces, or events. Uh, sorry, logs, traces, and events. And the pre-aggregated data would be metrics and profiles, right? And the way, like once you gather this data, what we do today is we stick them in custom databases and ask the question whenever we need to. But I think a better model for observability is to think about gathering pre-aggregated or raw data and then uh, ingesting that data to suit your queries. For example, you can take the log data. If it's very structured and you're only running analytical queries on it, uh, you'd stick it in the data warehouse or a columnar store. Yeah. But if you're actually doing unstructured, uh, if your logs are semi-structured, data warehouse is not going to solve your problem. So then you need to something like Elasticsearch. And if you're running, so there is a spectrum and like what you use depends on what the ratio is. And like you, there is no good answer anyways. Like sometimes you think this is the ratio, but when you actually go into an incident, you actually run string queries, right? Uh, most of the time. So uh, thinking about like uh, you can take your traces, put them in Elasticsearch store if you're running like search-like queries, whereas similarly, or you can put it in a trace store to run trace-like queries. So I think the my mental model is you gather the data and then depending on your read path, you would pick a storage engine. Uh, and once you do that, you can do that and you don't have to just do that for just your backend logs or something, once you start thinking like this, you can apply these ideas to front-end systems, your business processes, and uh, so on, you know, like even to some of the analytics use cases that people typically use, uh, people don't even think of using observability systems for can be applied there. Yeah, it's actually interesting because uh, in last month's episode, on the January 2022 episode, I hosted the CTO and co-founder of Frontag, and we actually discussed a observability for SaaS businesses. And one of the things was that we discussed not just looking at the, let's say, IT observability, but actually look at much broader set of signals. It could be things coming off of your mix panel or amplitude. Mm -hmm. It could be things coming from your API observability service. Mm -hmm. It could be from many other sources to build a more comprehensive uh, solution uh, and observability that can serve to ask to answer questions not just about the availability and performance of the underlying IT but also about the functionality the uh, and performance of the actual features mm -hmm. predefined KPIs success for the features maybe for the entire startup like the onboarding yeah. of a bottom up startup really uh, builds on monitoring the users freemium converting them to paid and all of that requires yeah. a lot of data analytics, which is another yeah. type of observability, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, that's exactly uh, how we think about it, too, which is uh, observability is not about like backend or logs or anything. Observability is knowing what is happening in your systems, whether it's a business. Now, what can be a business process or like a low level operating system operation, or it can be like your logs or metrics, you know? So. Amazing, amazing. Uh, so uh, I think we're uh, about to run out of time. So uh, sure. uh, I would like to thank you for this uh, discussion. It was fascinating. And to our audience, uh, it's important for me to say we covered a lot of grounds here. It was very intense, but uh, we will put, I will put a lot of uh, uh, references, both for the uh, research papers that uh, 
uh, Suman mentioned, and for the videos, talks that he delivered, and the, about the Slack trace and the logging at Twitter and Pintrace and so many resources that you can uh, delve further and, and get more information. But I think the purpose here was to uh, open up the minds beyond the traditional uh, ways of thinking about the uh, specific uh, pillars, namely metrics, logs, and traces, also beyond the the common open source tools. It doesn't have to be Elasticsearch or Prometheus or, uh, I don't know, Jaeger or, or OpenTelemetry. You need to find the right fit for your needs based on your patterns, based on your uh, uh, velocity, based on your uh, uh, volume and types of queries. So uh, it's, it's about better assessing the needs of the organization than finding the best need. Sometimes, as, as in this case, you may find yourself needing to build your own uh, not everyone is in the size of, of Slack and Twitter and everything, but uh, some of them, especially the big web scale ones, actually need to be at the front, but hopefully also open sourcing it so that the rest of the world can follow the, the best practices and follow the open source uh, uh, open source way. So uh, uh, thanks a lot. And uh, I would like to uh, invite you to stay with me for the uh, last part, which is uh, a bit about um, breaking news. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, thanks for having me. Uh, as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, before concluding and saying the last thank yous, I would like to mention uh, several just very brief items and uh, fascinated to also get maybe your take on that. But first of all, uh, we saw today, uh, sorry, then the past week, uh, you know, usually I'm not, I'm not concerned about specific vendors, but it's an interesting signal, I think, to the observability space in general. Cisco making a, a 20 billion plus uh, offer takeover for Splunk. I think this is a very interesting uh, 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 testament to the uh, uh, interest in observability in this space, that the player such as Cisco is making such a massive investment, yet to be seen if it actually goes through. But as a signal, I think it's it's very valid. And, uh, and um, uh, also in terms of the direction that Cisco is taking towards this uh, uh, observability space, uh, how do you view the, the move? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting uh, that uh, we are seeing finally, after years and years, seeing big numbers in the observability world, right? But I think uh, I think this is just the start too, because uh, uh, like Datadogs and like Snowflakes are much bigger. Uh, I mean, Snowflake is also used for observability in some cases. Uh, yeah. So I think this is just the start of the market. And these systems, like when compared to state of the art, are still like, uh, not the state of the art. So, <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. And uh, on the other side, on the open source side, I think one thing that was very interesting for me is the uh, open source uh, uh, database company uh, MariahDB that uh, actually confirmed the plans to go public. That was interesting for me, uh, both from the data store side, and I'm sure that you know very well MariahDB, but also on the open source side, because I've been into this discussion so many times in the past that I can't even remember about open source uh, not being uh, something that you can actually build a, a sustainable uh, a business around and uh, some actually uh, didn't make it yeah. like I don't know uh, Elasticsearch that needed to uh, take uh, pull Elasticsearch off of uh, off of uh, open source uh, the Elastic BV company or things like that but on the other end of the scale there are companies that manage to uh, create sustainable businesses uh, while keeping the the core product there available to the community, serving the the community uh, and not in conflict with the with the commercial uh, interests of the company. So.
for me, it was a very, very positive signal uh, for the open source uh, community. Um, did, did you follow this, uh, this news piece? Yeah, I am. Uh, I did. Actually, one of the interesting things that's happening is I think we are in the second golden age of databases. Like there was a golden age of databases in like the uh, 80s and the 90s where there were like a lot of database companies. Uh, that's when like the Postgres, Postgres, MySQL, Oracles and like Green Plums and all of these came. And then there was a lot of lull in the twin. There was nothing happening from 20, 2000 to 2010 or even 2015. But I think now we are again in the golden age of databases where we are actually building databases for uh, specific use cases now. MariaDB being one for the B3 databases. There are like more storage engines for the columnar databases. We are seeing more observability databases. So um, yeah, I think again, like this is still uh, early days of databases again. Definitely. Definitely. So uh, I would like to uh, thank you again, Suman, for joining me on this uh, on this episode. It was a fascinating discussion. And uh, looking forward, once you uh, release the uh, information about uh, CalDB and uh, and uh, the follow up on the uh, on the uh, Mach as as a, uh, as a as a POC or anything else, do feel free sure. to uh, share it to the community here because people will surely be fascinated to hear more about this uh, this effort. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, please follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. And uh, please send me your questions there. And uh, also, yeah, you're I, Mansu, right? M A N S U yeah. on Twitter? Yes, I am. Any other way that you can be reached? Yeah, by the way, uh, for those who see on, on YouTube, you can see that on the screen, but also on the podcast. Uh, any other way that you can be reached? Yeah, I can be reached at, uh, you can reach my email account, uh, suman.karamudi at gmail.com. And Sounds also good. you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Sounds good. So uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Suman. And uh, thank you very much for uh, uh, the audience, for staying with us on this uh, discussion. All the episodes, as always, are available on your uh, favorite podcast apps or uh, on uh, YouTube, on the, on the videocast format. Uh, we stream, if, if you're listening to this on the podcast, uh, do know that we stream the episodes live on Twitch and YouTube live. So you can actually join, just follow us uh, to see when the live stream takes place and you can join the live stream so that you can ask questions and, and uh, give your comments and take part of the discussion. You can find all the details about the uh, Open Observability Talks at openobservability.io uh, website. And feel free to follow us on uh, uh, Twitter at OpenObserve uh, for updates or and, and to share comments, suggestions, uh, news bits. Uh, feel, feel free to follow me as well uh, at Horowitz for uh, further updates around that. And if you uh, want to be on the show, if you have something interesting to contribute, uh, something uh, uh, interesting to share with the community, do submit a talk proposal. You can do that as well at uh, openobservability.io on the CFP uh, tab. Uh, and with that, thank you very much for listening. I'm Tutan Horowitz and see you on next month's episode.